Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Monday morning, the 24th of April. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, as you know, there are very few places available for people to rent. Affording what is available has never been more expensive. House prices are also through the roof. While almost 12,000 people are homeless, more than 3,000 of those people are children. While hundreds of people seeking international protection in this country are left with no option but to sleep on the streets because there is no place available for them to stay. It is a shameful situation, a crisis the government has been grappling with for over a decade and it is no wonder that there is so much criticism of a government that has failed to manage the most basic of things required by its people, a roof over their head. But could it get any worse? Well, yes, apparently so. Uh, according uh, to Fergus O'Dowd, a Fine Gael TD in Louth, who says prospective house buyers would be left out in the cold by Sinn Féin. And staggering, he says, to think that Sinn Féin's whole policy on housing focuses on one singular point, the delivery of genuinely affordable homes for working people. He says prospective house buyers should be aware of Sinn Féin's complete lack of understanding of the most important issue that we are facing right now. Let's speak to Fergus O'Dowd, who's on the line, together with Sinn Féin TD for Louth, uh, Melda Munster. And good morning to both of you, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. Uh, Things couldn't get a whole lot worse, uh, but you believe that they would uh, under a Sinn Féin government? I think the first thing is that uh, we had a motion on housing last week in the Dáil. And the point is that the objective of Sinn Féin is to actually remove two schemes which are very, very important. One of them is the help-to-buy scheme. That is where a prospective purchaser can get up to 30000 back uh, over the tax they would have paid in the previous four years. And that, that's actually helped thousands of people. In fact, over 7,000 people in January of this year applied for and have got a certification that would be entitled to that. Uh, so in Loud alone and in Mead, almost 4,600 people have bought their new home with the help to buy scheme uh, up 
to last year. The figures are quoted, I think, in July 2022. So it's been a hugely beneficial uh, advantage to people uh, with the Help to Buy scheme. And I believe if Sinn Féin abolish that, and that is their intention, that it will significantly and adversely impact on the capacity of people to buy homes. Mm. There's a second scheme then as well. There is, yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a scheme called the First Home Scheme, and that's a scheme where the government will buy equity in your house. So in other words, if you cannot, if you can't afford it to, to raise the loan from a building society, the government will take a share in your home. Uh, now, there's a price cap on the house in Loud and in Mead of €375,000. So the government can help buy that house for you uh, and they will take a share in your house. And the first five years, you don't have to pay back any of those charges that would have accrued to you. Mm. After that, then you have to you have to pay a certain amount every year. Okay, uh, but but it allows people to buy homes, and I think it's right. Uh, and you say it's complete madness scheme. to scrap those schemes, uh, Imelda Munster. Yes, yeah. uh, why do you want to scrap the first home shared equity scheme and the help to buy scheme? As Fergus O'Dowd says, thousands of people have bought housing using those schemes. Well, firstly, the so-called help to buy scheme, Mike, that scheme pushes up house prices and that's not just Sinn Féin's view, it's the view of many economists and housing policy experts. Um, Two government reports have also confirmed that the scheme contributes to house price inflation, the Indicon report in 2017 and the tax strategy report, but also on top of that an independent review of the scheme by Mazars and this was carried out for the government's Department of Finance confirmed that these these criticisms and recommended the phasing out of the scheme by next year. So it's not just Sinn Féin, it's independent reports, it's reviews carried out that were commissioned by the Department of the Government's own Department of Finance and have confirmed what Sinn Féin have been saying all along and recommended the phasing out of the scheme by next year. Mm. And just to give you an example, when the scheme was announced in 2017, um, I mean, developers must have been rubbing their hands because house prices, when it was first brought out, house prices went up by 20% almost straight away. And then when it was further, the the amount was further increased, they went up by 30%. The house prices have actually increased by 35% since 2017. They're inflationary. Okay, but if you think of all of the thousands of... If you think of all of the thousands of people who've availed of uh, these schemes, what would they have done without them? Well, they would have bought the same houses at a lower price. That's what they'd have done. These schemes literally just put the the cost of houses or homes for young couples and people looking to buy up straight away. The the scheme was introduced, they went up by 20%. And then when they increased it further, they went up by about 30%. Okay, so, so those people would have bought the same house at a lower price. Okay, okay. so the accusation, Fergus, I doubt if you like it, is uh, that the government is putting money in the pockets of developers. Yeah, well, I think I would direct uh, Imelda to page four of the Mazar's report that she quoted. And I read what it states at the bottom of the page, the last two lines. The research indicates that many of the risks that were perceived with the help to buy uh, have not come to pass. There is not definitive evidence that the help to buy scheme pushed up the price of new houses. So there you are, Melda. You're not quoting the actual report of what it says. The recommended. So in fact, no. I just I, I didn't interrupt you, Melda. In fairness to me, no. I'm just pointing out that you didn't read the report. 
and you haven't read it because it's clear that the evidence says mm-hmm. that okay, it well, not. Well, let her respond to that now. Did you read this report, Imelda Muster? I mean, yes, and they're recommending the phasing out of the scheme by next year. And on top of that, the two other government reports had also confirmed that the scheme hikes up the price Imelda, of Imelda, the Imelda they're, just they're in fairness, sorry, no. yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, you were quick to say I didn't interrupt you, Fergus. Yeah, no, no, no and I accept that. When the scheme was announced, house prices went up by 20%. They then went up by a further 10% to 30%. And they've, since 2017, they've gone up by 35%. And the government have done nothing, nothing, to bring about affordable, genuinely affordable houses. Okay, for, and what, 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 what about that price? Provided by government allows. What about that price, 375000 Is that what you'd consider to be affordable housing or should first-time buyers be aided uh, to come up with €375,000 for a house or should they just buy a cheaper house? Is that to me, Michael? Well, well, I was asking Malda Munster. Sorry, excuse me. Sorry. No, an affordable house should be in the region of two twenty to two fifty. Right. That's an affordable. That's that would be considered an affordable house for most people, most young couples. Mm. Three hundred and seventy-five, and that's the whole issue. The government have done nothing to ensure that genuinely affordable homes are available for people. Okay. There's not one affordable home provided by the government. And, 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 not one. Well, what, what did 375 you... 375 is not... Well, it's all it's by definition. I don't know. Do you call 375,000 an affordable house? Is that an affordable price for a first-time buyer, Fergus O'Dowd? Well, basically, it's, it's, it's beyond most people of normal income, mm. and that's why you actually have the first home scheme to help people buy a house. The, obviously, supply and demand is the key. And how much did you say the government would give to a first-time buyer if they were buying a house well, for 375000 Just to explain the scheme, it's, it's a sliding scale. Yeah. Basically, basically, depending on your income, and you have to be earning less, yeah. basically, than 85000 as a joint couple, they will take up to 30% of a share in that home. So it reduces the price for you in the beginning. Uh, but obviously, clearly, you have to pay back the difference over the 40 years that you get the loan. So it, it, it allows you to buy a home that you wouldn't mm. otherwise have. Okay, uh, but why? I, I mean, you're talking about in the case of in, in the case of 300 a house that costs 375,000. You're talking about the government investing what about a hundred thousand in that. Uh, they can invest a maximum of that. Yeah, everybody but why? That. Why? Why not say? Why not say to the first-time buyer, buy a cheaper house? You can't afford it. But, but the problem, Michael, is that that is the key of the issue: is supply and demand. Because there aren't enough houses, and there's more people looking for them. But the only ones available are three hundred seventy-five thousand euro. The price goes up, Michael, as housing output increases price will go down and in fact the government has but couldn't you put that 100,000 euro into uh, building new homes well what they're doing is they're they're also Michael uh, offering and Loud County Council advertised there in September of last year uh, for builders to that they there is a, a separate new scheme coming out it's called the affordable home scheme where the council will buy from builders houses uh, up to, I think, uh, a minimum of 10, a maximum of 150 in any one scheme. Uh, and they will offer them then 
to people at the affordable housing loan, which is available as well. Mm. There's no doubt about. And Michael, I just don't know why you're giving a hundred or investing a hundred thousand euro into a house <clears> when um, there's no need to do that. Uh, would you understand the point I'm making, Imelda Munster? Because uh, if uh, you can get a, an affordable house, as you say, for about 220,000, 200, 220,000 euro uh, locally. Uh, if somebody is looking to buy one for 375,000 euro, do you agree that the government should say, uh, well, we're not going to put 100,000 euro into it for you. You should uh, just buy a cheaper house. Yeah, I mean, the problem is here, Mike, that the government and Fianna Gael in particular in 12 years of, in government have done nothing to bring house prices down. Now, that first home scheme, firstly, again, like the controversial first home scheme, again, like the so-called help-to-buy scheme, puts house prices up. But would you but get a house for €220,000? I think that's the point Fergus O'Dowd was making. Well, well, you see, because they haven't rolled out sufficient housing to deal with this crisis, prices are high. But yes, you would. If you look in Drogheda, if you look um, around Drogheda, you'll get your three-bed semi or three-bed terrace house for, for around that price. But that controversial forced home scheme, scheme, not only does it put prices up, but it puts more debt, debt on people. When you pay off the mortgage, you then have to pay off a possible 100,000, mm. up to if you've borrowed the 90,000. So you, you spend 25 years paying off your mortgage, and then you have a further second mortgage. Mm, the state like. owns one third of pay your off. house. Yeah. 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 The developers are rubbing their hands with this. And it's all because um, if you think about the house. Okay, price, but let, let, let Fergus O'Dowd, there's a lot, of, there's a lot in that. There's a lot in that, Fergus O'Dowd, maybe you want there to There is, of course. And in, yeah, fact, yeah. In, a, in fact, the truth is that if you borrow the 100,000, it's going to be very difficult for you. The loan is over 40 years. Uh, for the first five years, you pay the percentage uh, that you actually borrowed, and you keep paying that percentage. But when the house is sold, uh, you have to pay the pay back that percentage and the difference is obviously if the price goes up or if the price goes down and we all know that house prices tend to go up so it it, it is a scheme it's one obviously that is will help people i would think that the smaller amount you borrow the better because in the long term you'll be paying back less Mm. but but it does allow people to go into the market and at this moment in time in, in the country, 1,336 1, people have opted into the shared equity, but there's mm. over 38,000 have opted into the Help to Buy scheme, which I think is excellent. The, the other point I want to make, Michael, is that is that you're quite right. It is only by increasing supply that prices will fall. And the government has actually, the start this year for the first three months of the year, that's the new commencement on homes is almost 8,000 homes and that's more uh, than ever since record was starting okay. kept in we, 2014 so, we, so supply is significantly okay. increasing uh, and that's the future that's the future that's the future would you agree with how I, I presented uh, the discussion this morning which is that after 10 years in government after 10 years trying to cope <laughs> with uh, this crisis that uh, the government finds it itself and uh, has left the people of uh, this country in a situation uh, where it's shameful to think uh, that we can't provide housing for people in this country. Uh, and there are so many problems. Uh, but that that uh, is the government's record and that is why it's being criticised. But that, on the other hand, you're saying that it would be all the worse if Sinn Féin was in power. 
Absolutely, because all of those supports will be 38,000 people nationally. There'll be 4,600 people that Imelda and myself could call to who are in their own homes would not be in their homes because they wouldn't have had the 30,000 grand to do to buy them. That's a fact. The other point, Michael, is that in the last year, and you are right, uh, you know, we were through a very bad period economically. Uh, we don't have to go through it all. We know the economy collapsed. Mm. Uh, but no, last we know, year, and we know that we, we know that Fine Gael campaigned no, on solving that, the housing no, no, crisis, no, and it should have been solved long, long. I just want to make the point yeah, that yeah, last yeah. year, yeah. over fifty-two thousand people uh, bought mortgages. Okay, bought I, I, I need to go back. I need to go back to Imelda Munster. Houses that were built last year. So okay, we know that. Yeah, we know that. But we also know that. Oh, but sure, we all know it, and we also know that there's twelve. 12,000 people. We know that there's 12,000 people who are homeless and we know that people are facing evictions and so on. And that is what's of interest to people. I'd like Imelda Munster to respond because you did make some very strong criticism of what would happen if Sinn Féin were in power and all of these people who have their keys to their own homes though, Imelda Munster would be out in the street apparently. I mean, some neck, I'll just say that say it that way, the housing crisis is caused by government policy. They've inflicted utter misery on people young and old. People can't afford to rent, they can't afford to buy. There's tens of thousands of people on social housing waiting lists, many waiting over a decade. No affordable homes for people, not one was provided by government in Louth. Young people are finishing college and getting on the planes because they've nowhere to rent, can't afford to buy. There's hundreds of thousands of people on HAP, private rented, costing the state billions annually. Nothing to show for the public money spent on it. No security of tenure for those tenants. And on top of that, they lifted the no-fault eviction ban, knowing that it would make thousands of families homeless. They've no plan in place. Where do people go? I mean, it's just incredible. They've made such an absolute mess and inflicted so much misery. And I love people coming into my clinic this morning that's facing eviction. And I often wonder to myself, if anybody was into Deputy O'Dowd's clinic, does he actually tell them if they're facing eviction, does he actually tell them you're in this situation because I voted to, do, to put you in that situation? I voted to lift the eviction plan, plan or the eviction ban. They've inflicted nothing but misery on people for the past 12 years. That's what they're, and we're now in a housing emergency because of it. All right, uh, and Fergus O'Dowd, according to um, uh, the um, editorial of the Irish Independent this morning, the government is running out of time. Uh, people are running out of patience and time. Time just Okay, please, but can I finish? Yeah. No, before, but can I please finish yeah. the point that I'm making? Uh, the yeah. editorial of the Irish Independent says that time is not a, a, on your side, uh, and that people are running out of patience in relation to this, and that the government is extremely vulnerable uh, on this issue facing into an election uh, late next year or uh, early 2015 and that the housing crisis could be the rock that the coalition perishes on. Do you accept that? Obviously the people will make their judgment uh, significantly on housing and also on the economy and I accept that. Uh, But I just want to make the point uh, that Amelda was uh, was, uh, saying that people if they come into my into my sorry into my clinic do I have them or do I tell them the facts? Of course I do. And the facts are that the government is is responsible for decisions they have made, and we have to stand over them. That's the first point. If somebody has a termination notice, that's different to an eviction notice. That's the second point I want to make. But I would hate to have either of those notices because it creates 
great difficulty for that individual. However, Loud County Council have told me that, uh, and I've been in touch, Melda, I'm sure like you have on behalf of my constituents, some of whom are facing eviction, and I've been on to the council, and they're aware of 34 such cases. And they have, uh, that's the latest information I have, and they have funding to buy the homes of the people. Uh, oh, sorry, they're funding, they have provisional funding to purchase for tenants in situ for over 100 cases in County Loud for this year. And, and there is apparently further funding available if needed. So, yes, it is a huge issue. It is a huge crisis. And I'm not running away from my responsibility or my accountability. Far from it. Uh, and the point I wanted to make is this, that in the last year, 20,000 social housing uh, were provided in, in the whole country. And there was 785 new tenants. Mm, okay. Yeah, yeah. to make the mm. point. No, I but what's the point? I mean, everybody knows that, but everybody knows we're in a they crisis. Don't, they don't know this actual figure, Michael. But they do. Uh, seven, no, they, well, uh, 785 uh, new Every time a government representative speaks about housing, they yeah. tell us all of the data, all of oh, the statistics. The we hear it over and over. Okay, well, we're talking about the crisis rather than uh, the efforts to solve no, the crisis because they're because they're obviously because they're obviously not working. Imelda Munster, Imelda Munster, just okay, all right. Okay, well, I'm kind. I've run out of time, and I just think I need to give some time to Imelda Munster to balance it out if I can before I finish up. Imelda Munster, look, I mean, I'll be in my clinic as I said this morning. It's it's heartbreaking to see the misery, you know, that people are enduring, the stress they're under. And even talking to young people, I mean, they're, they're literally getting on planes as soon as they seem no future in Ireland. And when you get to that stage, when the housing crisis is, is affecting young people, you know, and ma- they're making the determination to live abroad because they can't afford to rent or buy, it's also affecting workers, nurses, doctors. Um, apart from that, it's affecting everybody right across the state and they had 12 years to put it right and they've just, they're just going from bad to worse on it and you know people have just had enough All right. Okay. literally had enough of it OK, okay. we'll leave it there uh, thank you both indeed I know that we're not going to get uh, agreement and we only have a, a limited amount of time but thank you both indeed uh, for your time and for sharing your very strong opinions on both sides of that argument we were speaking to Sinn Féin TD for Loud and Eastmead the Melton Munster and Fergus O'Dowd who's Fine Gael TD for Loud and Eastmead uh, as well now a number of people in touch uh, asking if we're off air yes we're off air we're not off on FM and if you are listening to us I'm sure at this stage you know uh, that we're only available on the internet uh, but just to recognise uh, those text messages coming to us I'm not sure if uh, the people texting us are hearing the uh, answer because uh, I don't know if they're online or not if you are there do let us know uh, and uh, you may want to make comment as usual uh, a number of people making comments uh, about uh, the topics we're discussing somebody says government has found an awful lot of money apparently but they should be putting that into housing. Let people build on their own land instead of being forced onto council housing, uh, says our caller. Thank you indeed uh, for that. Some text messages uh, that have come to us. Matthew Andrahada says, Fergus's party with Fianna Fáil support and uh, the giving of grants to certain people uh, while there's people living in tents. Uh, on the other hand, uh, is most questionable. John and Navin says Putin 
is a killer, according to Hillary Clinton. Uh, talk of the pot calling the kettle black. Uh, this woman laughed at the murder of Gaddafi. Uh, and uh, obviously there's uh, questions about uh, American foreign policy, I'm sure, as well, uh, from John in Navin. Jim in Navin says, Michael, with the vast increase in criminality in Ireland, it stands to reason that our prisons are overcrowded. Uh, I suggested that there should be a debate about a new prison. Uh, that should be put back on the agenda. Unfortunately, it's the direction that our, our country is going in and time for the Minister for Justice to wake up and realise this, says uh, Jim. Thank you indeed. Uh, and thanks to everybody who has been in touch. Uh, obviously, we're just on the internet this morning, but we're here. We'll be uh, on air as such uh, in terms of uh, the programme continuing today. And we'll be happy to take your call if you want to get in touch with us. Oh, for one nine eight three two thousand text or WhatsApp oh eight six one eight hundred six five eight email Michael at lmfm.ie Michael Reed on LMFM. Sharon Kogan is an independent senator. She's from County Meath. Indeed, spent some time on Meath County Council, as I say. The independent uh, senator, Sharon Kogan, is uh, a member of Shannon Erin and there as part of an independent group of senators. Uh, last week, uh, she tweeted uh, about five key appointments, which she said... Uh, are to people governing us all made over the last five years and no jobs for the Irish here hashtag governance Ireland no Irish need apply do they not trust us what's wrong with the Irish top positions of governance in Ireland this is the tweet uh, that Sharon Kogan posted. It's got her into a, a lot of hot water. Uh, the five people she's talking about are all British uh, gentlemen, uh, and that's if you include Drew Harris, uh, who was born in Northern Ireland. I suppose many people uh, would regard the Commissioner of Angarda to be Irish. Uh, but all five are, are British, and what's wrong with the Irish is uh, the tweet uh, that Sharon Kyogen was asking about the Garda Commissioner, the Director General of RTE, uh, the Governor of uh, the Central Bank, uh, the top man in the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council and indeed in uh, the new media regulator. It didn't go down well at all in the Shannon as you're about to hear uh, last week and indeed it was uh, the subject of an article in the Irish Times on Saturday uh, by Miriam Lord Uh, And she described the tweet from Sharon Kogan as chilling. Definitely an example of the great nut casement, she wrote. Uh, And indeed, as I say, Sharon Kogan is a member of this independent group in the Shannon, but all five members of that group have moved to disassociate themselves from Senator Kogan's comments. Uh, Just at the outset, I want to... uh for the House, I just want to mention on the record uh, a social media message that was posted last night by Senator Kyogen, which refers to certain office holders within the state, uh, including the Garda Commissioner Drew Harris. So I wish on my own behalf, and on behalf of Senator McDool, Senator Victor Boyhan, Senator Jared Crockwell, and Senator David Norris, um, to publicly repudiate the tone the content and the message contained in that posting, it will raise feelings of alienation among many people whom we welcome to this country. And that's everybody from bus drivers to shopkeepers right up to the highest office holders in the land. And if a similar posting was made by a parliamentarian in any other jurisdiction about an Irish person, you know, we would find it reprehensible. The phrase, no Irish need apply, is a phrase that is held in infamy 
And similarly, the phrase no non-Irish need apply is equally reprehensible. Right, uh, that's Independent Senator Tom Clunan uh, who has disassociated himself from the comments made on Twitter by Sharon Kogan uh, who is a senator and one of the independents in the group that Tom Clunan uh, is a member of but Tom Clunan and all of the other members have disassociated themselves from Senator Kogan's comments uh, and there was criticism from outside of that group as well. I just want to follow on from, if I could for a moment, uh, the comments by uh, my colleague Senator Tom Clonan uh, and in doing so maybe suggest that we might at the earliest possible opportunity arrange a debate here on immigration and migration. Um, there's little doubt that if you follow social media um, there is a very sinister campaign being waged by some clever individuals to create the impression in the minds of sometimes an unsuspecting public that all immigration uh, or inward immigration is bad and those which seek refuge for whatever reason, in some cases it may be financial, uh, but seek to come to our shores, um, <coughs> that they have a nefarious purpose, that they're somehow uh, Ill- illegitimate individuals that are here to do damage uh, to this country. You regularly hear about the notion of people who come here, they're un- supposedly unvetted, and they're perpetrators of rape and murder. And unless we as constitutional parliamentarians challenge that in an open way, we're going to lose the battle, sadly. And I think we've got to take it head on and up front because I'm picking it up in my own community. People are starting to worry because there's no pushback against it. And as a collective, we tend to not poke that bear. We kind of ignore it and hope that it goes away. Well, it's not going away because there's a sinister element and it's represented in this house and I talk about this house, the Oireachtas, there are individuals who are preying on uh, the the, the concerns of people who feel vulnerable in their own community, whether it's they're finding it hard with the cost of living, they're finding it hard from a housing perspective. And that situation, that context, is being used by clever agitators, and they have mouthpieces in this house. Um, I'm absolutely really annoyed by what I saw what Senator Keoghan posted. It's disgusting. I know three of the individuals. They're three of the finest people that you could find anywhere. And I'd ask Senator Keoghan to reflect on this. I saw her in the other house last week running to get a ringside seat to be part of the Joe Biden situation. If she feels so strongly about migration and immigration, she shouldn't have been in there. We were celebrating the fact that an Irishman had made it to the highest office in the United States. And yet we see this kind of vile language being used against some of our nearest neighbours. That's Fianna Fáil Senator Timmy Dooley. Very annoyed with Independent Senator Sharon Keoghan and certainly no defence from her colleagues in the Independent Group who moved to disassociate themselves from uh, Senator Keoghan's comments and indeed to repudiate what she had to say about foreigners working in this country. Incidentally, uh, the Shannon didn't hear from Sharon Keoghan because the Senator wasn't in the House when these comments were being made uh, on Wednesday of last week. We might hear some more about this incident 
questions a little bit later on. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now to a health warning, which may be of interest to, to you if you vape. Uh, it is a health warning, but it's a dental health warning. And uh, let's speak uh, to a dentist and find out what the concerns are. Dr. Jennifer Carroll, Clinical Director at Dental Care Ireland and Head General Dentist of Northumberland Dental Care is on the line. Good morning to you, Dr. Carroll. Thanks uh, for joining us on the programme today. Uh, what is your concern about vaping? So we have several concerns about vaping. So first of all, vaping is quite a new habit. So it's really only around, you know, 10, 12 years now. So it's really only now in the last few years that dentists are really beginning to understand adverse effects of having at our mouths and really becoming concerned. So firstly, as I said, a lot of the, a lot of the evidence we have is, is anecdotal ourselves. It comes from talking to patients, assessing them, and we're learning a lot from our colleagues. But we know there's worrying signs for sure. Mm. So I would say about vaping, if it's been used as a tool to help give up smoking, well, then it's quite helpful and quite useful. So if I know a patient has swapped smoking for vaping and they intend to give up smoking and hopefully vaping altogether, then I would consider that a positive transition. Okay, well, cigarettes are terrible for your teeth, of course. Cigarettes are terrible for the teeth and actually really bad for the gums. So vaping is better than that, but it's by no means a healthy habit and it's by no means risk-free. And it's actually the new trend of vaping in younger people, you know, teenagers, that's what we're seeing now a lot of, and we now know there's a lot of harmful effects of vaping on the gums and teeth. So this is really concerning for us. Okay, uh, and uh, what's the ingredient? Uh, you say it has popolin glycol. Is that uh, pronounced correctly? Yeah, o- almost, almost, Michael. Okay, almost yeah. pronounced correctly, but it's called propylene glycol. So okay. firstly, vaping still delivers nicotine to the body, and that has a really bad effect on the gums in particular. So what it does is, because the vape is the first point of contact into the mouth, the effects can be quite extreme. So vaping causes all the blood vessels in the gums and mouth to constrict, and this contributes towards gum disease, and a more severe form of this called periodontitis. So in the past, we'd have only really seen periodontitis in, in older people and older adults, whereas now we're seeing early signs of it in teenagers, which is a concern, and also affects healing in the mouth. So if someone's having a wisdom tooth out or something like that, we'd be advising them not to vape. So the propylene glycol, which is very correctly pronounced, <laughs> is a compound in the vapour, in the vape, which causes the mouth to get very dry. So without getting too many yeah. details, it attracts water to it. So the dry mouth causes a lot of adverse effects in the mouth like cavities because saliva is a great buffer against cavities. So dry mouth can contribute to more holes. And also the dry mouth can give people a very bad breath. So teenagers in particular don't like this. And this is the biggest complaint I find that teenagers have. Mm. And the nicotine also makes the teeth very stained and quite yellow. So I find with teenagers, when I'm trying to motivate them to stop vaping, by telling them they might get a bad breath and dry mouth and, and yellow teeth, that seems to be very, very, very motivating. Okay. But anecdotally, I've seen, I've seen lots of things in patients that I, I, I kind of now am joining up the dots myself. So when I see a lot of younger people again with, with a lot of sensitivity on the anterior teeth I often think this is due to the acidic nature of, of the different flavours in the vape because often they're quite sweet and kind of citrusy mm. so this can cause a lot of erosion and it also changes the fragile bacteria of the mouth and we're still learning about this mm. but we know the changes to the bacteria in the mouth are not good we just don't know the full consequences ourselves yet Right so it's doing the same kind of damage that cigarettes would have done and we all know about that damage uh, to teeth and gums uh, as you say but maybe not as severe but in addition to that it's causing other problems. Exactly and and also it's, it's the lack of awareness on it because lots of people who vape I find they're vaping more than they smoke. So well, you have it around your neck all day. Exactly, and I see yeah. people vaping on the streets and, and teenagers vaping, whereas smoking is considered kind of a, you know, it's not something people do in the streets as, as often as we used to see, say, 20, 30 years ago, whereas I 
see people vaping all the time and they all seem to have a vape in their hands. So I suspect people vape more. Again, I don't do either, but mm. just again, talking to patients, they seem to vape more than they smoked. It's very hard to understand uh, how young people who never smoked start vaping. I know, I know. And, and, and it's, it's become quite trendy. Yeah. And it's a lot of it's a lot of it's the flavours. So again, I see in, in older adults they prefer the menthol flavours, whereas in younger teenagers they will prefer the sweeter flavours, the kind of orange and strawberry flavour vapes. And I just don't think they realise that the actual damage they're doing. They see it as something fun, and we do know there's research to say that one in five people who vape will go on to smoking actual cigarettes, real cigarettes. Mm. So that's a big concern, and that's a lot of people, and they kind of get into the habit of. The, the actual the, the process of the vaping can lead to smoking, which which is really concerning when it comes to teenagers in particular. So, and it's a very expensive habit at that, of course. It's, it's expensive, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's expensive. And so, I think the fact there's a lot more awareness on it at the moment is, is really positive. And I know there's a recent sur- survey uh, and um, information released by the RCSI recently about the adverse effects of vaping on the on the cardiovascular system and on the brain. So, I think all of it's good information to put into the public forum because I think when we know better, we do better. So, mm. I'm hoping if you have any listeners out there who have teenagers in their homes that are vaping and they're trying to encourage them to stop all this information be very useful. I'm sure it will. Uh, as you say, uh, teenagers are, are quite conscious of uh, their appearance and uh, it's not just their appearance, uh, it's their oral health uh, which uh, can lead to a, a lot of problems over a long time. Uh, we have to leave it there for the moment. Thank you for that warning and uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. Jennifer, that's Dr Jennifer Carroll who's Clinical Director at Dental Care Ireland and Head General Dentist of Northumberland Dental Care. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Independent TD Peter Fats, make your pardon, Peter Fitzpatrick joins us now. Good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. We're going to talk about the prospect of a political party representing rural Ireland, representing farmers and with an anti-green agenda is a possibility. You've heard talk about this, have you? I haven't indeed, Michael, yet. I, I've been approached by nobody, Michael, on the situation. But, Michael, uh, the question I know you're going to ask me is, do I think there's room for another political party in the system? And the answer is, Michael, I think there is. But I just, I just don't think it should be one agenda just to deal with farmers. Uh, I'm just looking there at the statistics at the moment. Is, and you have three parties at the moment. Is, you've got Fianna Fáil, Sinn Féin and Fianna Gael, all around the same. It's a Green Party with 12. And then you have the, the Labour, Social Democrats, people before Parliament, and then two. And then the last, you have 20 independents, which is made up of the regional group, the rural group, and the independence group. But I, I honestly think, Michael, it's come to the stage at the moment is the news over the weekend that we heard that there's going to be 64 billion surpluses in the next four years. I think, I think we have an opportunity now of, 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 of investing in the country. I would love to see more business people in, involved in politics. I'd like to see more people that know the situation in the house and how to solve problems. I love to see people involved in health and retail and, and also love to see farmers. I just love to see more people involved in politics that can solve the problems. Mm. The situation at the moment is money money doesn't seem to be the problem at the moment is because if you look at our health system there at the moment there's twenty three billion uh, and uh, there was a surplus there carried across there last year from the housing. There's something seriously, seriously wrong. I do think we've allowed the wrong people in TDs. I think I'm I'm put my hand up here, but I think we've too many teachers for a start. We've just too many people in the, in the door that just want to talk and, and won't get... We're going to have more. Well, we'll have a lot more after the next general election, won't we, because of the population? Well, if you look at that, at the moment, we've got 160 TDs at the moment. And with the new boundaries and that, you're talking up between maybe 178 to 180 TDs. 
I know at the moment all the main political parties of the many countries at the moment and they're, they're trying to get candidates. Mm. And if, if, if you look at the 2020 general election, Michael, then you see that Sinn Féin put in 42 candidates and got 37 people elected. I'm sure Sinn Féin will be looking at that situation there at the moment and they'd, they'd probably be saying. But I'm, I'm concerned about the country. I think, I think as, 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 and I, I shouldn't be quoting this, mm. Donald Trump says that Ireland is punching above its weight. We're one, one of the best countries in the world there. As I said, we have a lot of money there at the moment. Is I think if we get the right people in, and I do believe there is okay. another the political party there that, that should come in there, because uh, uh, this government it took months and months and months to get together. Okay, so just, it, just just to uh, cut to the uh, point, yes. uh, I, I, um, I right in thinking that you'd like the idea of uh, a new political party being formed, you'd be interested in joining a political party, uh, but that it should have more scope uh, than uh, the one that Michael Fitzmaurice has been talking about. Yeah, I, I, in fairness, like, I, I spoke to a lot of TDs in the door, and not not one TD that I've spoken has been approached by Michael uh, Fitzmaurice, and I'm just wondering who, who did he actually approach? I, I'm a member of the regional group, there's eight of us in that group at the moment, and there's none of us approached there. Uh, the group we have, the regional group, I think is a very, very good group, and uh, there's, there's other good groups there at the moment, it's like the, 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 the rural independent group, and then the independent group, and we, we, we do talk on a regular enough basis. But the bottom line at the moment is there's going to be a general election in the next maybe 18 months. Mm. I, think there, I think there is an opportunity there to, to put a bit of pressure on the government. My, my biggest frustration, Michael, at the moment is that there's no one willing to make, uh, make, uh, make, make, make decisions. Like, we, like the cost of living, and I have it in, in, in the radio t- uh, program this morning, eight out of ten people think it's going to get worse. The health system is, is not really improving. And the, look, at the, look at the housing mm. situation. Is. There's yeah. no accommodation, there's nothing. And you, 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 two, you, you two parties on this morning, you Sinn Féin and Fine Gael, and all of them is arguing with each other. And the bottom line is, we have people out there that has no roof over their head. Mm. Uh, we, we had an eviction ban there that, that, that was lifted, and, and the people are out in the streets there at the moment. Is, and now we're talking about 64 billion of a surplus going forward. Mm. It just makes no sense whatsoever. We just need people that is willing to come on to be TDs and make decisions and help our country to get back on its feet again. Yeah, well, it's quite possible uh, that there be an election in the early part of next year, uh, particularly given how flush the government is at the moment and how it could throw a lot of the money it has available to a lot of these problems that you spoke about in October, hoping that it would win votes in January. So if there is to be the formation of a party, you'd want to get your skates on. Well, Michael, we all know, like, put it this way, no matter who's in government, if you have got that surplus, like this year alone, we have 10 billion, next year we're going to maybe 16, and the following year, 80, there's going to be 64 billion over the next number of years. Now, there's no doubt whatsoever that the government are going to throw money at to, to, to get people to vote. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. But we're not looking for a quick fix. I think we, got, we, we need to invest in, and invest in our future. And, uh, and uh, just, like, the situation at the moment is, even look at the situation in houses, I'm not going to... Like, I honestly think our local development plan is, is being a complete and utter disaster. I'm sitting in my constituency office this morning. I'm going to load the people in this morning that have no homes, but they have land. And the, the, the mental red tape to be put mm. through them at the moment, trying, trying to get it at the moment, is a disgrace. And we heard about Bowpen all over the weekend there. There's 27,000 homes stuck in the system. So, we, but, but all we just need to do is sit down, lift the red tape, but they don't, you know, but we show that everything we do is above board. But but the, but there is there is solutions out there at the moment is but nobody seems we want want to work together. Mm. We've got we've got Minister Darrow O'Brien coming to the dock this morning. He's he's doing three bids of in the dock. He's he's opening houses and he's opening new roads and everything else at the moment. But I just I just hope Michael that what, I I don't see any reason why we all can't put Ireland first because as I said yeah it's a fantastic country. Everybody wants to come. Yeah. The water here like the, the thing that's annoying me at the moment is. I hear now the word emigration now. Like that, that's kind of stopped for the last two or three years. Mm. All of a sudden, I'm hearing a lot of young people calling me going abroad again. They just can't afford to get on the ladder. Just can't afford to get a house. And to me, that, that, that's an awful shame, an awful shame. Yeah, can't afford to buy a house, can't afford to rent a house. Uh, there is nowhere available. Uh, but is a political party the solution? Uh, I mean, it sounds like you're interested in talking to people if people are interested in talking to you. But would you not get more votes as an independent in the Dundalk region uh, representing people locally than asking people to vote for you and a, a party, let's say, that's made up of the Healy Rays, amongst others? Well, Michael, I didn't say all parties, but I, I've always said from day one, you, you asked me when I became an independent TD elected by the people that me back in 2020, uh, and, and whether I support the government. And my, my answer to you that day, Michael, Michael, was is we want a strong government, we need a government that will look after the people. And, and, and I honestly do think uh, this government is very shaky, nobody knows what's going to happen. There seems to be agendas, the Green Party seems to have its own agenda, Fine Gael has their own agenda, Fianna Fáil seems to have their own agenda. But my biggest problem at the moment is, and I'd be afraid, we all see what happens in the north. You have no assembly in the north at the moment. Is. And you heard the Americans coming over there with Joe Biden here last week, saying there's hundreds of companies wanting to invest in Northern Ireland. I'd hate to see the same situation in, in, in general election in Ireland, that, uh, that we, we can't form a government. Uh, uh, you know, Fianna Fáil says uh, they're not going to go to Sinn Féin. Fianna Gaes is the same. But I just think, maybe I'm wrong, Michael, but uh, I think we know how I'm sitting down. Like, uh, uh, I'm not. I'm not. I, you know, I, I got elected as an independent. But if I tell Michael that uh, that me being part of an independent group that would help solve all these, the, all these, all, the, all these solutions or help solve these solutions, Michael, mm. I would be very interested in talking because the bottom line is we have to get rid of people's heads. We have to get people uh, in, in and out of hospitals and waiting lists at the moment. And the cost of living situation at the moment is, is, is diabolical. Like, like the confidence of eight out of ten people are afraid of going forward. Like people are actually afraid to put these or patches in the cows and everything else. They, they just, but I just keep telling you, we've got a fantastic country. We have the money. 
All we need is a solution and we have to be sure to be invest the money in the right places. But do, think, do you, you know, think you'd do as well representing a party as you would as an independent? Uh, well, well, Michael, uh, at, the, at the moment I will be honest, Michael, uh, I'm getting a lot done being an independent because uh, the government uh, doing my vote. Uh, the last time the government came and asked me for my vote for the, for the eviction ban, and my conscience wouldn't allow me. I, I asked the government, if you have a plan B, I don't have a problem supporting plan B. But they hadn't got a plan B. And that, that, that like, like, you know, I backed them in, in, in a case by case. But I do honestly think, too, that if we can get a good grip of maybe independence between 12 and 20 independents, that would have a strong hand and understand what the community wants. Like, you know, pe- people mm-hmm. want to go to the hospital, they want to get better, people want to get a house, people want to walk in the supermarket and they're able to buy their food and they're not. It, it, and I just keep saying, we've got a fantastic country. The money's not the problem. I just think the people that's governing the country at the moment are not doing a good enough job there at the moment. It's all they're doing is bickering and fighting each other at the moment. Is we, if we get a solution together, get a good group of people together, and work, work together, and I, 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 I really does annoy me because you know, when you go to Harlech, people do look at Ireland. Like Joe Biden, when, he, when Joe Biden brought in this country there last week, coming out of the country and, and praising the country, what a fantastic country we have there at the moment. Is. I think uh, that was all good, good, good. Mm. And like situation with 64 billion over the next four years, we have an opportunity of sorting the north out of problems that maybe we couldn't sort out during the pandemic or during the recession. But let's put the head together. Let's all work together. And I think my biggest concern is... But there's also the ideology, step. isn't there? I mean, a lot of people in rural Ireland are fed up to the gills with the Green Party and Green policies. Uh, would you share those concerns that people have? Well, I honestly I, I think some, some, some of the things that, uh, that Eamon Ryan's party can say with, it does really make your hair stand up in the back of your neck. Sometimes you say to yourself, are they really, really, really genuine? Some of the things, like, like this government, as far as I'm concerned, has done a good enough job over the last three years. But the amount of own goals that they've given away has been unbelievable at the moment. Like, I, I, just, I just can't understand it. Like, this country's done a fantastic job during the pandemic. Like, you know, like, 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 you know they're giving most households and people there are 350 mm. euros a week. It's across the border, they're only getting half that money there at the moment. And, uh, like, like, but do you agree I, with I, the climate action plan? Michael, I, I agree. I agree. I agree with some of Michael, but the, the problem is this is being rammed down people's throats, and people are not getting an opportunity to speak. Michael, I have but the planet is dying. I mean, you, you agree the planet is dying, and there isn't the time to step back from these things. You look at Michael. Like, you look at Ireland is surrounded by seas. I, I had in the, in, in, in the radio station this morning is oh, our sea area is seven times the size of this country, and we're absolutely, absolutely not about it. Like, oh, Winshaw, we, we should be putting more, you know, more emphasis on that, you know, Winshaw uh, farms. It's it just, there's a lot of good, simple things there at the moment is, but we have people there together. We have three parties that form the coalition government, and to me, they're not working together. Like, they're, they're looking after the wounded genders, instead of sitting down and putting the country first. And I keep telling you, money doesn't seem to be, seem to be the problem. So if money's not the problem, then they don't seem to be working well together. And I just think, that maybe if, if an independent group got together, like roughly like 20 TDs together, sit down and, and, and sit down maybe and have maybe form the next government. But I said, Michael, well, if this can be done before the next, the next general election, I don't know. But, uh, you know, I think the situation with Michael from his coming out and just, just concentrating on the farmers, I don't think that's right. And I don't think rural Ireland would want that either. There's an awful lot of communities there in, in, in rural Ireland that want help. And the situation, even with transport and everything else, a, a lot of things that can be solved out with a, with a stroke of a pen. And I think, you know, if, 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 if a lot of these, if you've got the right, get a lot of new candidates in for the next election, a lot more professional people in for the, in for the next one, less teachers, more people that's willing to get up on the backside and do a bit of work. 
I think this country could be a fantastic country. I know it's a great country, mm. but I think this country could be a better country. Okay. Thank you indeed for joining us this morning. That's Independent TD for Loud and East Meath, Peter Fitzpatrick. Now, let me bring you some of uh, the comments coming to us. Siobhan, thank you for your WhatsApp message. Siobhan, in touch uh, following uh, the interview uh, that we had earlier with uh, Dr. Jennifer Carroll. Uh, the head general dentist at uh, Northumberland Dental Care telling us uh, about the concerns that she has uh, about vaping and Siobhan says it would be a good idea for the HSE to distribute leaflets in the schools highlighting those awful side effects to create uh, awareness for young people uh, who may be vaping or tempted to vape. Thank you very much as I say Siobhan. Uh, a number of people in touch with us asking us uh, why we're not on air. Um, we're we're back on now, I think. Uh, so uh, maybe you're hearing that. Uh, apologies uh, if uh, you didn't hear the programme from earlier on. Uh, there was a problem with uh, the transmitter and our engineering team have been working very hard and got us back up and running, thankfully so. Uh, so welcome back if uh, you're just rejoining us. Uh, you've been with us online. Thanks for keeping us company with your text messages and so on. Thomas Lynch has been in touch uh, following the interview at the beginning of the programme with Fergus O'Dowd and Melda Munster. And Thomas says, uh, Fergus and the Minister for Housing are, are spoofing. Uh, that's uh, what Thomas thinks when it comes to these funds that we heard about that local government have to help buy houses for tenants uh, who can remain in them after the uh, housing authority, the local authority buys uh, the house. Uh, But uh, Thomas says, and he's made this point to us before, I'm part of Helping Hands, Helping Communities do leak who work with the homeless. And we have a, a resident in that very position who went to Meath County Council and the council said the tenant doesn't qualify for the purchase scheme as the property that they're in and have been in for the last 10 years on the RAS scheme is a three-bedroom home. They only qualify for a two-bedroom home. And that has been the case. Uh, but why did the council pay rent for a three-bedroom home if they only qualify for a two-bedroom home for 10 years? Uh, and it's just crazy now that uh, this opportunity arrives, uh, Thomas Fields, and they don't qualify because the house is too big. He says local government are seeking out all of the excuses they can find not to purchase homes for those people in need. Thank you very much indeed, uh, Thomas, for getting back uh, to us. Uh, as I said, that's a, a point he made before, but a, a very valid point. Uh, our telephone number, if you want to make comment to yourself today, 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. We were listening to us uh, last week. You may have heard us uh, discuss some library books uh, with local Fianna Fáil councillor in Louth, uh, John Sheridan, uh, and their books aimed at 12 to 17 year olds that uh, there has been some objection to. The way people have been objecting has been called into question, uh, leaving some of uh, the library staff in Louth and indeed uh, in other parts of uh, the country feeling intimidated by the protests that have been taken to libraries themselves. And we're going to speak now about the same topic uh, with AIM2 councillor in County Meath, Emer Tobin, who's on the line. And a very good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme. Uh, you uh, met with uh, the Director of Services and the Head of Libraries in County Meath last week along with another councillor, Gillian Toole, uh, to express some concerns you have about these books. Um, good morning, Michael, and, and to your listeners, and thanks for the opportunity to discuss this. 
Um, we did indeed. A constituent had asked for me to arrange a meeting with the council and uh, that wasn't um, accommodated. So I said we'd I'd give us another councillor and the two of us had a pretty good meeting with, with Mead County Council. Um, but I suppose the reason I was prompted to, to, to send in a request to come on your, your radio programme was listening to Councillor John Sheridan's discussion with you last week because I feel a lot of the discussion about the issue of these books in libraries for 12-year-old children and up is more about the opposition to the books and the the representation of those people who oppose these books. And I feel very little discussion or light has been shone on the actual content of the books. And for me and all the parents who have come to me to, to highlight this problem is the age appropriateness of this content. And in all the different discussions I've heard on different radio stations, I haven't heard anybody talk about the content or even read out the content. Mm. And well, they're in about order sex. to get uh, the nitty gritty, that really is where the conversation should start. But they're about sex. Uh, and the objective uh, of putting these books in libraries is that there would be sex education for young people. Exactly. Um, would you like me to read out some couple of paragraphs? Um, if you feel it's of value, um, but it's about sex, I do. Uh, you I know. Do. Yeah, okay. I do. So, look, the first book I am, is called This Book is Gay, and it is for children from 12 to 17. So, I, I'll keep it short. Blueies. As with handies and breakfast eggs, all men like their blueies in different ways. The term blowjob is massively misleading as you won't actually be blowing on his penis. It's more about sucking. Although I stress you're not trying to suck his kidneys out through his urethra. It's more about sliding your mouth up and down the shaft of his cock. Handies. A good handy is all about the wrist action. Rub the head of his cock back and forth with your hand. Try different speeds and pressures till he responds positively. Bumming. Straight men like stuff up their bums just as much as gay ones. Anal sex isn't a gay thing. Okay? So, and then one final paragraph. This is from another book called What's the Tea? Again, for children 12 to 17. When contemplating anal sex, some people douche or squirt a bit of water into their back passage so that sneaky poo nuts don't get in the way of sexy fun time. Now, Michael, my youngest child is 11 and he has gone to a few birthday parties already this year of children in his class who are 12. And, you know, I cannot, you know, countenance or even begin to understand how adults think this material is suitable for children of 12 years of age. I mean, we have no problem with sex education, but material has to be presented in an age appropriate way. And, you know, there's there's thousands of people across the country do not feel this, this material is age appropriate. So mm. this is really my... Why not? You know, my... my um, because it is, it is presented in a very... Well, just even look at the word sexy fun time. You know, a 12-year-old doesn't need to read sex education presented in a sexy fun time light. Or, you know, Why not? they should learn how children are conceived oh. and relationships and how things between men and women and men and oh, men and women please. and women. But if mm. you're talking about educating children, oh. well, then it should be yeah. done in an educative uh, manner. Right. 
Uh, and what's not educative about that? It's, it's, it's about the age appropriateness. Now, uh, Michael, my child is in fifth class. This material is not appropriate for, for children in fifth class. So really what I would be calling and aim to in general, obviously, is calling that we're looking for a new system of book classification mm. that would allow libraries... Is your, is, is, your child, is your child a member of the library? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so and your child can't access these books because your child is 11. My child can easily act these, uh, access these books. My well, child. shouldn't. I was in the library well, uh, two weeks ago. I know, I know. Okay. This is... No, that's a different argument. You're saying if, you, if something is wrong in the library, well, maybe you should take that up with the local librarian. Well, if we children did. are reading. We had the meeting Okay, but that's a different thing. I mean, but the, the first point is that your child shouldn't be accessing these books in terms of how they've been designated uh, age-appropriate for 12 to 17 but The book of shelves that contains these libraries is in the children's section of the library. It's on a bay of books next to the... The, the shelf of books that he would normally take out his own books. But there's three or four bays of books. You know, children who are getting their books from these libraries, you know, can easily move to the last bay which contains these books. It, is, it isn't it is like, you know, put in a different section of the library which, mm. you know, where they wouldn't stumble upon them. It is extremely easy for a child to pick out this book out of the shelf, go over into, a, you know, a section of the library where there's a chair, sit down and look yeah. at well, this maybe, maybe that wouldn't be a bad thing if they did, would it? Well... I mean, if the child I, if the I, child I picked said, that off the shelf... It's, it's if all the, if about it, age appropriate. OK, but if a child I, picked that off the shelf, surely there's a reason for that. Yeah, but if, if this, this material... You know, a child at the age of 11 or 12 is not ready to get information like this presented in such a manner. But they get it you on know, their when phone. When I spoke to the, to the head of services and to the head librarian, you know, I said, have, have any of the librarians here local discretion? Or can you use your own autonomy in terms of, you know, where to classify or how to classify the books or where to put them in the library just to ensure that children don't stumble upon them accidentally? Because... Like, it is strange that they, they, they put books in a section mm. 12 to 17. That's a huge range mm. in terms of, of a child's maturity, yeah. in terms of a child's innocence. And this is all about protecting child's but, uh, innocence. Uh, uh, they're not available to, to, these books are not available to children under 14 unless they've uh, permission from their parents. They're not allowed to take them out of the library, but mm. they can read them in the library. Okay, uh, you you object uh, to the same sex aspect of it, obviously, given what you were saying no, about how children should learn about, about relations. Well, you just said children should no, learn. No, I didn't, Michael. You did. You just I'm said children should learn about children should about between between men and women. No, I you did. I've actually, and how I, I and how they have children? That. That. You did. I'm talking about if you listened earlier in the conversation, I mentioned it's not about the type of sex or who it's between. Mm. It's about the age appropriateness of the delivery. So, what, the what age? What age should children learn about sex? I'm not saying they shouldn't learn about sex at the age of eleven right. or twelve. Okay. Obviously, but if you, if, what I'm saying is, if you censor, the way to teach it that's age appropriate. If you censor this material from children, where are they going to learn about sex? There's no talk of censor here whatsoever, Michael. My point is, 
librarians feel they have no autonomy. I have spoken to librarians down the country who are not happy with this material. Well, I'm sure, but there's there's, there's there's people who have the responsibility or are qualified. So there's people who have the responsibility for choosing these books or, or categorising these books and they have uh, the professional capacity to do that. Uh, they're expert in their fields and they've deemed these to be uh, appropriate for 12 to 17 year olds knowing that quite often that will mean that some children, if their parents don't want them to see them, won't see them until they're 14. At 14 years of age, all children know everything about sex and then some and they could probably teach you or me a lesson or two about it. The point here, Michael, is we all have a duty of care to our children, to safeguard our children, to ensure that their childhood is not... Well, that means that that they don't get a phone. Well, I I am not an advocate of of young children having phones. There's no doubt about that. And that was another point raised by by Councillor Sheridan. He was saying that, look, kids can see all the stuff on the internet, so it's no big deal. There are lots of children in this country who don't have phones, who don't have access to explicit material. I think children shouldn't get their shouldn't have access to the internet. Now, if if it's mm. a phone without internet access, but every twelve-year-old has a huge issue. Every twelve-year-old or thereabouts has access. Secondary school minimum, and even when they receive well, the twelve, school, thirteen, should, every twelve-year-old, every twelve-year-old in the country has access to the internet, don't they? Uh, no. Or thereabouts. My child is going to be 12 later on this year. He's not going to get a phone till at least second year in secondary school. Right. And so he'd be class. 14 then. And there's lots of parents So he'd be 14 then. More, more conservative, so at, more strict. At 14, at, 14, at 14, your son will be able to watch anything. Uh, let alone read this He stuff. won't, because I'm not going to leave my child with a, with a phone... Um, so that he can go on the internet, you know, for, for, for a couple of hours every day unsupervised. Absolutely not. I have three older children, Michael. I was always pretty careful about acts, what access they had. Mm. And I would have sat down and, and discussed they, they don't, usage you, with them before I agreed to. Your older children don't have access to the internet, then, do they not? Well, my, my eldest are 18. Mm. Uh, they're twins. and uh, But, like, we, we have conversations the whole time about, you mm. know, um, phone usage and the time and wh- they're allowed on okay. it. And, and, look and what, about your, what about your children looking at it on their friends' phones? I mean, this is what children are talking about all of the but time. Michael, we can stick our head in the sand and pretend. And we can stick our head in the sand. Children. We can stick our head in the sand and trying to wrap children up in cotton wool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it doesn't do anything. They will do what they have to do. This is them uh, uh, developing as young people. Uh, and you're not the only influence over them as a parent. They have sure. all of their peers and all of their circumstances uh, in terms of what might influence them. And every child in the country at 14 uh, knows all about this stuff. Uh, they probably uh, have a, a, a better understanding of sex than our generation or the generation before us. I, I'm, I don't have any issue with what you're saying there, but what I am saying, you're talking about 14 year olds and Councillor Sheridan was talking about older children. My point is 12 year olds. 12 year olds is far too young to be exposing them to sexually graphic and explicit material. In, in a way that is not appropriate. And I think... Well, it's only talking there's, about there's, sex. There's new budgets coming on for, for, for reading lists. It's not pornography, though. It's only again. talking about sex. It's talking about the type of things that people do for sexual pleasure. Yes, but, Michael, you, you listened to, to the three little paragraphs I read out to mm. you today, and I would have read these out to... to but there's nothing wrong um, with any of them. They're all factually correct, aren't they? 
nobody's disputing whether they're factually well, correct. That's, that's the, the thing, to educate children about what people do for sexual pleasure. It's not suitable for children who are in primary school, okay? And the fact that some children have access to some material is a failing on our part because it is up to parents and guardians to safeguard their children and not have them exposed to sexually graphic material until they're ready. Okay, we have to leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed for joining us today. Thank you very much. That's Aim 2 councillor on Meath County Council, Emer Toby. Michael Reed on LMFM. 25 men who say they've been sexually abused by former Dr. Michael Shine have received the news that the decision by the DPP not to prosecute Michael Shine for the crimes he's alleged to have committed in the cases of these 25 men has been upheld by an independent review. So the decision not to prosecute still stands. Adrienne Riley is uh, the Chief Executive Officer with uh, the group Dignity for Patients. And a very good morning to you, Adrienne. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Uh, there's a, a great uh, sense of disappointment, I, I take it, uh, from uh, the man. Yeah, good morning, Michael. First of all, I want to apologise to you and your listeners for my croaky voice. I have a cold, oh, okay. but I yeah. thought it was this issue was so important. Um, for the victims and survivors that despite my croakiness, I do need to speak out, um, you know, for the people we support. Um, first of all, let me contextualize this. Most, the majority of these men were children when they were abused. And I think that's a really important thing to remember, given the current climate that we're in, where we have the Spirit in Review and Black Rock and all of that, because... I'm not sure there's another comparable incident in the history of the Irish state where one person could abuse so many children and we still haven't had justice for 99.9% of them. Okay. Um, What is uh, the reason uh, for deciding not to prosecute? Is it age-related? No. Um, That is one of the factors but not the factor, and also age is not a barrier to prosecuting ever. What has happened was in 2017, the DPP's office itself failed to send a letter to Michael Shine or his legal team to tell them that they were proceeding to prosecute 25 cases. And that letter didn't go for two full years. And by 2019, another case was proceeding against Michael Shine for which he was prosecuted and sent to prison. But the legal team argued because of that delay added to his age, his health and the historic nature of the crimes that taken all together, that he would not get a fair trial. And the High Court, uh, that went to the High Court and the High Court said no, he would get a fair trial, but it was appealed to the Court of Appeal. And they said because of all of the things, including the delay, that he wouldn't get a fair trial. So what happened after that was more cases went forward, Mm. including this 25, and the DPP then are relying on the outcome of their own mistake. And their independent reviewer has said yes, even though they made the mistake, and even though this is where we landed, we still believe that there's no avenue now. So effectively... It's shut down by the DPP, the very office 
director of public prosecution that is supposed to prosecute on behalf of the public. Michael it, Shine. It is outrageous. Michael Shine is 90 now, I think, uh, um, but he, he spent uh, more than 20 years fighting cases against him. He did, and in 2019, when he went to prison, he went for four years, he served three, and his health, his ability to plead is one of the issues in question. He is not, we know for a fact, he's living independently, he's totally able to uh, go out and about, he's still driving. It's not like he was in prison in some kind of dehabilitative state, we know he wasn't, and it's not like he's out living in a care system or with high support. So all of those things don't add up. And his age is no barrier in law. That's already been put to bed in lots of other cases. Okay, you're contemplating taking a high court civil case. Yes, possibly. Um, Some of the victims and survivors were in touch with a law firm in the north, um, Kevin Winters, and um, I believe that they are looking at what action they can take because, you know, if you or I didn't send a letter for two years and somebody was left and I would take a court case, we would be in serious trouble. But it's like because these men were children and it was so long ago and the perpetrator is old, all of these like kind of nuanced things now add up to it going nowhere. Heads would roll if this happened somewhere else. So I think, yes, they're looking at taking some kind of action because why is this happening? And also, it sends a very bad precedent, one for other cases coming forward. Mm. So we've had 19 people come to us since I started 18 months ago who've never spoken to anybody, who've only coming for the first time. Their parents have died. They've raised families. And now they feel they're able to talk. And anybody, anybody that works with victims and survivors of sexual abuse will tell you it can take decades for children who were abused to understand what happened to them. So where now do we go when the arm of the state, the director of public prosecution, is shutting down something due to their own error? Okay, 19 new people have come yeah. forward in the last 18 months. Uh, yeah. What does that bring the overall total to, the official total of uh, the number of uh, people that Michael Shine abused? Well, I don't know the answer to that question. What I can tell you is, since Bernadette Sullivan set up this organisation in 2010, there are 350 people in this region have contacted these offices about abuse by Michael Shine. And again evidence, international and domestic evidence and research will tell you if 350 contacted us, multiply it by two or three or four. So this person worked over a 30-year period and Mm. abused abused children. And everybody knew about it. Well, that's why also, if they're closing down this avenue of prosecution, we need a public inquiry. It's not good enough for the government to come out when the spirit and black rock abuse happens and cover it so much for a week and have full airplay and the whole country be appalled. And yet for them to shut down 350 children who are now adults and tell them, well, we don't really know what we're going to do and we can't really fit you into anything and the scoping inquiry into sexual abuses only for schools, religious schools, I might add. 
but the religious order ran the hospital. So we've asked mm. that that be expanded to religious institutions where children were abused. Why are these children not given the same consideration as the adult survivors who were abused as children in the schools? We don't understand. And also, another thing is some of these survivors were also abused in schools in this region. So are the, if they engage with the scoping inquiry on schools, is only half of them, half of their abuse going to be considered worthy by the state? So we've lots and lots of things in this mix. And it, it's just deeply, deeply traumatising for the victims. We've One by one, they've come in and sat in front of us as we've gone through these generic letters from the DPP. We're very concerned about whether they were, in fact, ind- like independent the review of uh, the DPP's decision, is that what yes, you Yes, mm. because each person applied individually, but the letters are completely generic. They just say, we could have prosecuted your case, but because of this, and it goes through law, and then says, you know, you can get support, or you can contact us, or whatever. Mm. There's no deep digging, there's no, as one victim said, I thought they'd look at everything and tell me what they looked at and review my case and review everything that was sent by the guards and I would understand what happened. And that isn't what happened. Okay. You know, it's just, it's all very worrying. Mm. Uh, Sounds like it's the end of the road, really, unless you proceed uh, with a, a civil action. Well, it is. it may be the end of the road for this group, um, but we will, you know, we will take guidance or the victims will take guidance from a solicitor. But I also think it's something that we will have to raise at a government level. You know, it's deeply, deeply concerning if this is left to stand, because this just doesn't have repercussions for these victims. It has for any victims now that the law as it stands, if somebody finds themselves in this situation, there will be no prosecution. If they were abused as a child and it takes them decades to come forward and then the perpetrator's right to fair trial can be protected by this legal um, standing now. Okay. It, it just doesn't make sense. Okay, Adrienne, we'll leave it there. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Adrienne Riley, Chief Executive Officer with uh, the group Dignity for Patients. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. A number of people in touch with us about uh, these books in library uh, that have uh, sex education um, as uh, their objective with 12 to 17 year olds. Uh, somebody says, Michael, I'm glad you agree uh, with a 14 year old going into a library and learning how to give oral sex. If it was Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael, would you be so rude? Thank you indeed. Uh, they used uh, the term uh, in their text uh, that we heard Councillor Emer Tobin uh, use uh, when she read and quoted some of uh, the books. Um, but uh, I think uh, there's no need uh, for me to be quite as graphic. Mary says, Michael, uh, I can't believe such language is being used in books for 12-year-olds. There's a difference between sex education and that kind of language. It sounds like porn to me. Michael, will you cop on? 
Uh, another bo- uh, person says those books are porn. Uh, uh, then somebody else in touch uh, who says, is that woman allowing her children to watch movies on Netflix? Because movies over there show lots worse stuff, but that seems to be okay with some people. Thank you indeed. Uh, another WhatsApp message then from Caroline. Caroline says, oh my God, is this serious? My youngest is 12 years old and my eldest is 16. Both girls. Full stop. That material is absolutely not age appropriate. I would not allow my children to be exposed to such things. Education to me is about morality, ethics and above all being nice to others. By the way, I have a a family link on all tech and my children are protected via tech within my home. Thank you indeed, Caroline. Uh, I do know that I've spoken to other people like Caroline uh, who try to monitor their children's internet usage. Uh, but they see this stuff on other children's phones, unfortunately. I don't know if there's any winning that war. Uh, somebody else in touch saying that woman, who's Emer Tobin, is living on another planet. Kids can see anything, anywhere they want these days. Thank you if you took the time to text us and share your thoughts with us. Now, if you were listening to us earlier on, uh, you'd have heard uh, some of uh, the anger that there was about a tweet from Sharon Kyogen, an independent senator, uh, who's from County Meath and uh, was indeed a member of Meath County Council for some time. I'm sure a lot of people will know her. Uh, But she was referring to five uh, people uh, who were not born in this jurisdiction. Uh, The head of RTE, the head of the Central Bank, the head of the Fiscal Advisory Council, the head of Angardashi Akana and the head of uh, the media regulator. Uh, They're not Irish. And she asks um, that... uh, why aren't there jobs for Irish here? Did they not trust us? What's wrong with the Irish top positions of governance in Ireland? No Irish need apply. Uh, this was described in the Irish Times as the great nut casement. Uh, Miriam Lord uh, using that term to describe uh, Sharon Kogan's attitude towards people born outside of this country. She's part of an independent group uh, and we heard one of those members, Tom Clonan, on behalf of the other members of that group, Michael McDool, Victor Boyhan, Jared Crockwell, David Norris, uh, taking time in the Shannon to publicly repudiate the tone, the content and the message that was contained in Sharon Kogan's uh, text on, or what, a tweet on Tuesday night. Senator Tom Clonan initially spoke about the social media post by Senator Kogan last night and uh, basically gave the view from the other members of the grouping, the independent grouping, that the other members uh, repudiate absolutely the tweet that was sent out. I have to say I saw it last night myself. I was quite appalled. And only that I try not to get into an adversarial situation with my colleagues, I would have actually called her out on it. But I'm really glad it came up today. It's important and we really, really appreciate that you've done that on behalf of your colleagues. Thank you for that, Senator. Uh, that's uh, Fianna Fáil Senator Fiona O'Loughlin. She wasn't the only uh, member of her party to criticise uh, Sharon Keoghan. Uh, and just to mention, Sharon Keoghan, or a spokesperson for her, told the Irish Times, probably won't be commenting on that. Uh, Sharon Keoghan wasn't in the Senate uh, when people were taking such an exception to what she had posted on Twitter, uh, but uh, I don't know why she wasn't in the Senate, uh, but that's uh, the case, so we didn't hear from her last week when these issues were raised. Uh, as I say, uh, we heard from Tom Clonan uh, disassociate her group 
from her and her comments. Uh, we heard from Fianna Fáil, uh, Timmy Dooley was very angry, if you were listening earlier on, uh, about uh, what Sharon Kogan had said on Twitter. Uh, Senator Timmy Dooley, um, you called out hypocrisy from uh, Senator Kogan. And actually, when I did see the debate last night, it did strike me that the greatest celebration that we had in this country for in such a long time was in relation to President Biden. And he is a returned Irish man who emigrated, whose grandparents um, emigrated from here. Um, I think you're right in terms of saying we need a bigger debate in relation to emigration and immigration because what is stealthily coming in to our communities and into our society is a very far-right view in relation to those that are coming to our shores for a myriad of different reasons. And we need to embrace all of the talents, all of the culture, all of the, the many, many even um, em employment opportunities that these people uh, are, are taking up. So I, I certainly will look for, for that. Um, the, and, and you are right, as constitutional parliamentarians, we need to take on the battle here. All right, as I say, that's uh, Fianna Fáil Senator Fiona O'Loughlin picking up on the points made by Fianna Fáil Senator Timmy Dooley and Independent Senator Tom Clonan on behalf of the Independent Group, uh, disassociating themselves from one of their members, Sharon Kogan, who obviously caused some stir uh, with uh, that post and probably uh, not the kind of stir that she'd have hoped for. Um, Tom, thank you indeed uh, for getting in touch as well. He says, bit of a double standard there, Mick. <laughs> you won't read out the wording again uh, from uh, those books, uh, I said, oral sex rather than uh, the term of phrase uh, that is used in the books that Emer Tobin uh, read out earlier. He says, it's for 12-year-olds. Why don't you read it out? Uh, I suppose uh, there's uh, some people who are listening uh, who may not like it. Uh, and that's uh, something that we have to take into account, Tom. But there you go. You may have a point. I don't know. But there you go. Thank you indeed uh, for sharing your thoughts with us. Anyway, that's where our time runs out for today. Maggie McGuire researched. Chris Murray was in the control tower. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.